Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, well, welcome back to another Rap Report. I am your host, Andrew Rappaport, and I am with a very special guest. You may not have known of him unless you, of course, love fine Bibles. Then you will have known of him. But my my guest today is Jeffrey Rice, and he is the owner of Tex Post Tex. I can't do the Latin. You're just going to have to do it. I can do the post and the lux. Post Tenet Bras Lux, something like that. He likes Latin words. We're going to have him explain <laughs> what that is because that actually, the meaning of his business is actually a lot of his testimony. So, Jeff, welcome to the Rap Report. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate your friendship and all that you're doing for the kingdom of God. But it is post Tenet Bras Lux. <laughs> Bible rebinding. I say it again, post Tenderbrus Lux Bible rebinding after darkness light. See, I have enough trouble with English, bro. You got to throw the Latin there. <laughs> I know, man. I know. I have a lot of trouble with English. Like, like, like I, man, I, I speak street English, you know? Um, I mean, when I'm up on, when I'm up in a pulpit preaching, there's no telling what's going to come out. <laughs> Like when I listen to John MacArthur, I have to Google his. I have to Google what he says sometimes. But if somebody listens to me and they Google it, Google don't even know what I'm saying. So. Oh no, no! If they they would Google it in the in the uh, uh, what what's the internet? Uh, there's an internet lingo dictionary now. Yeah, I, I used to have to do it yeah. with my kids. Would would they would do all these. You know, BRB, and I'm like, what is BRB? I still get it. I get text messages from them, and I'm like, what was this? And they have to explain it to me. But uh, so, so folks may not know who you are. Now, you and I set this up at uh, we're we're right across from each other at G3, uh, which yeah. was really painful for me to sit there with all of your Bibles out there, and we'll get to that later. But oh, they were so soft, so nice. I wanted to buy them all, but my wife was with me. That was a real problem. <laughs> but but let's let's start with uh, you know introducing yourself to the audience and and you and I first met back at the Super Bowl, and uh, so maybe you could go into your your a little bit of your background of who you are, not all your testimony yet, but then and how how you and I first met. Yeah, so uh, like, like, like you said, my name is Jeffrey Rice. Uh, I grew up in South Nashville. Um, I started street preaching probably in uh, 2013. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl when it was in Phoenix. And on my way, like, like I don't follow football at all. And on, a, and on my way there, we got pulled over. And, and because I didn't know, like I told the cops that we was going to the Super Bowl to preach, but he asked me who was playing, and I didn't know who was playing. <laughs> so like, all, all, <laughs> that would so be me. Us, yeah. So, so all of us street preachers were put in the back of a police car, and my buddy Jamie Terry looks at me. He's like, "You look pretty comfortable over there." And uh, because I grew up, you know, every time I got pulled over, I was put in a police cars. Just did 
you know, it was all good, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so it was on our way. To, we, 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 we went to Phoenix, and, um, and that's where I met you. You were uh, a straight-up extrovert. I was, uh, you know, just kind of standoffish to myself, introvert. But uh, we had uh, you, you and I myself have a mixed martial arts background, so I heard you talking about it. And then, uh, you know, like if we can talk about something I know about, I'm pretty good with talking. But other than that, like, like it is literally easier for me to stand on a box and proclaim the magnificent works of God than to walk over and introduce myself to somebody. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. So, but, uh, but once I saw that we had some kind of connection, I walked over, started talking to you and, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, we had gone together there. Then we, we met up again for, I guess the next time we met up was truth matters. Yeah. Truth matters. Yeah. You got kind of gave me a little interview there showing my Bibles. I think you were, uh, picking fun at somebody. Me never, never. <laughs> I, I, I might've yeah. been picking a little bit of fun of Chris Honholds, who is not there to see all the wonderful books and the yeah, Bibles. And so, yeah, we, we might have, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, it would be unusual for me to pick fun at someone. I mean, I wouldn't think that that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. So we ended up uh, being at G3 together, right across from each other. And uh, you were able to have your, your Bibles there. But as you were, you know, as we got to to talking and wanted to do this, you have a very interesting background that I think could really encourage some folks. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who they, they think of their past and for a lot of people, it's like, well, what, you know, for some people it's what could God, you know, could God really use my past for others? They think, um, you know, they're still dwelling in just rough upbringings and uh you yeah. know your your testimony is one that has a lot of different components to it and it's really i think like your name of your business right from from darkness to light it reveals yep. what god can do in someone's life so let's let's start it at the your earlier age you were kidnapped at i think 11 years old was it yeah um you know we grew up very poor and uh and so when I was 11, was in a, uh, what's called a, a Claude's trailer park and, uh, this guy next door. And, uh, I come out one morning and he was, uh, wrapping his dog up and I just kind of looked over at him and, uh, he told me, uh, he asked me if I would bury his dog that he'd give me $5. And I was always a hustler trying to make some money. And so I was like, yeah. And so I picked the dog up, took it to the woods and started burying it and then uh you know he just come in behind me took me into his house or whatever well the trailer another trailer and just uh ganked me up man and uh he he uh like he he like like a lot of people talk about the devil you know and uh and at that moment i felt like that i that, that i was there like i was in the presence of the devil you know, this guy would, uh, I mean, just evil, man. He, 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 uh, a master of manipulation, uh, brainwashing. He, um, I mean, like, so whenever I went to tell what took place at 11, you know, the police can only get out of you what a, 
a frightened 11-year-old boy is able to tell. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm almost 40, and I ain't afraid of anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, telling my story now is, I mean, there's still some, you know, but I'm not afraid. You know, um, the guy opened the Bible, you know, professing to be a, a prophet. And, uh, you know, I'm not even sure who, who I'll tell this part to, but professing to be a prophet. But then he start like, as I'm starting to try to escape, he starts praying, but he's praying to Satan. And I can remember, you know, the, how he would start it up or whatever. But, but he told me, he said, if I finish praying this prayer, Satan is going to appear and he's going to take the life of whoever I tell him to. And he's not taking mine and he's not going to take yours but I'm going to tell him to take your parents. Mm. And so I stopped fighting. I didn't know what to do. Uh, Eventually I was able to go free like by him, but under a a brainwash manipulation, I had to return or he was going to kill my family. So you, you stayed with him for the sake of your family. Yeah. Well, there was a two week period where it was as if I, I guess like if you was to go back, it would look as if I had ran away and that's how I had to make it look because he took me. But whenever he let me go, I had to come back or he was going to kill my parents. Well, he was going to have Satan to kill my parents. Now, how how long were you, did he hold you? Two weeks. It was about two weeks, but the whole thing lasted for about three months. Um, yeah, so there was others involved that actually uh, was able to escape and tell. Yeah, uh, I mean the guy, uh, I think he got ninety years for it, but 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 still, I mean there's only at eleven years old so much that I could articulate and express. Uh, because, uh, and still out of fear because the whole time I'm thinking he's about to have Satan come and take my family, even though he was in jail. Like, I was 11, you know, not knowing what was going on. Or And this is the thing that I try to explain to folks when it comes to criminals like this, that they, they will uh, use techniques that are called grooming. They use yep. family as the, those you love to get you to comply with them, to control you. That's why when my kids were little, when they're growing up, I always told them, anybody who tells you not to tell me something, they plan you harm, and they know that I'm the only one that's going to protect you. I said, so anyone that tells you, don't tell your parents, you must tell me. And I've always told the kids, there's no one that's going to hurt me if you're in trouble. I'll, I'll go after them with every ounce of energy I have left, but... You, you know, if someone tells you that they're going to harm me if you don't listen to what, if you don't do what they say, I always told the kids, they're looking to do harm to you and they know I'm your protector. And so I would always yep. tell them that because that's exactly what, what, you know, people who are doing grooming, you know, are going to do. They, they are, they use the ones you love to get you to comply. I, I think of the Elizabeth Smart, uh, the guy who kidnapped her and she had, uh, you know, it it was a situation where she had um, you know really complied with the the kidnappers because you know 
or the kidnapper because he said he was going to harm the her, her family and so for her sister's sake she you know she was like okay i'm i'm not going to you know i'm not going to do anything i'll i'll go with him that's the worst thing you you never want to go once you go you're in trouble and yeah at 11 years old i mean that's you know, for folks who are listening, I mean, think about what life is like at eleven year old. You're gonna be, you believe the adults, but it's got to be scary when someone's telling you that they're Satan or, or they have access to Satan. You know, and yeah. they're telling you that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, now that I look back, <clears throat> like like I feel like I was in the presence of Satan. I mean, he was this, it was pure evil. Uh, I don't I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, it was just madness. Um, for a human being, I mean, because they were they were many, like 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 when it came out in the open, many many kids, uh, so fell under the abuse of this guy. Wow! And you were you were able to escape um, from there. Life just turned out great, didn't it? Oh yeah, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of all your trials in life, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, but this is what I, I try to tell people because I know a lot of people use stuff like this as an excuse, and um, you know. But if I was to get in my vehicle and start driving, and instead of looking out my front glass, I look out my rearview mirror driving forward, I'm eventually going to hit something and crash. And in, in, in life, you cannot. Like when, 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 when you're trying to go somewhere and be somebody and, and, and live and raise your family, you cannot look at your past. You can't let that stuff define you. You have to be focused and uh, look into, well, I mean, if you're, you know, hopefully they're looking to Christ, but even if you're, you're not a Christian, you, if you look backwards you are going to crash and burn you have to look forward you can't let your past define who you are yeah and you just can't and that's the thing that i really want folks to get to by the end of this is to realize because you you and i talked briefly before we started recording but it's something that really burdens my heart is seeing so many people who really their spiritual growth is stymied because of something they think is in the past that's preventing them. And it's really a self, kind of a self-inflicted wound. It's, it's, a, it's a self-limitation. They're not letting God do what God can do in a life. And that's why I think your testimony is, it really is one that I want people to hear. Because life didn't get easy. I mean, being kidnapped at 11, very few people know that experience. Very few people can talk about what that's like. But you went from there, life didn't get easier, it continued to get harder. You, you ended up, well, what, what ended up, after you, you escaped, what happened? Did you, were you able to reunite with your family? Yeah, I mean, but it wasn't real good. Like, again, it was very poor. Um, so at 12, my mom had to be in a hospital for, uh, I think, for about a half of a year. And so my dad, struggling for work, had to go to Florida back when uh, Hurricane Andrew hit. And so he went up to Florida to try to work. And my older brother was with him. And, and my, I don't know where my sister was. But at 12, I had to stay in my house that was in by myself. And so I was dependent on uh, the park 
uh, we lived uh, we lived about five blocks from a park, and every day during the summertime, they would bring sandwiches. People would bring sandwiches and and feed the kids around the neighborhood. So I would go there and eat. But other than that, you know, like I was just having to defend for myself at twelve, and then like my brother at that time didn't really like me. They they would beat me up all the time. But whenever I was fourteen, I got robbed and beat up pretty bad at gunpoint. Um, and so the next day. I got in a gang because there was a, a gang in the neighborhood. And I, I just I, I just felt like I needed somebody to have my back. You know, I, I got tired of all the stuff taking place. We got involved with a gang. And, uh, and man, like, like the trajectory of, of, of that really uh, gave me like a God complex because like it wasn't long afterwards, you know, because we moved a lot that I had. So I was leaving this neighborhood to go to another and so the gang had me to to raise up people in in another neighborhood. So I was like, basically, they were sending me out, just like you would plan a church. They were sending me out to plan a gang. And so I moved to a neighborhood, and uh, you know, uh, when and by this time, I don't got enough galls in me to where I was just fighting anybody. I'd walk around with a steel pipe in my pocket, hit folks with it. Like I was just, I, I didn't lost my mind. And uh, so I raised up a, a gang, and, and I was 15, and I had people from from 16 to 25 that would do whatever I told them to do. And so it gave me this God complex. And then, um, uh, you know, I had two two drive-bys pulled on me. People were trying to kill me. I mean, it, it was just just a crazy life, man. And uh, But you can see how someone who had been – kidnapped at a young age, been beaten by his his own family. The that gang attitude and mentality could be very appealing. It could it I could see where you could get a God complex because you feel I'm in control, which is really the issue there's you you feel that there's people who are gonna do your bidding, there's people who you have say over their lives, and it gives you that sense that you're in control. Were you really in control? It felt like it because like if I was like, like I had this thing, like if I was to say that somebody wasn't my boy and, and if I was to turn around by the time I turned back around, if that guy wasn't drooling, like beat up, the person that was with me would be violated. So, so I had it to where people had to do what I, I, I said. So I felt like I was in control, but ultimately I wasn't, I was totally out of control. <laughs> I was out of, I was, you know, I was out of the will of God. I was, you know, uh, but, 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 but even through this, like, even through this, you know, I, I say this and tell you how terrible I was, even through this, there was not one night I didn't find myself praying to a God I didn't know mm. because I could not sleep. All the crap that I've done that day would keep me up. I, I'd lay in bed and I'd think about it and I'd contemplate it and I'd find myself praying to a God I did not know, asking for forgiveness, for uh, somehow to change my situation, uh, get me out of uh, uh, of, the, of the stuff that I was in. I, just, I, I, I didn't even know how to pray or what to pray for. Like I'd see people do the cross over their head, and, their, and uh, you know, I was doing that. I thought maybe that was how you do it. Like, I, I, but... I know I could not sleep, and I always knew that there was a God. Like, like you can't look at creation and, and think that this stuff just came into existence. 
So, so it wasn't the fact that I didn't know those. I just didn't know who he was. Creation declared his glory. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you were praying to a God you did know. You just didn't know about him. I mean, everyone knows yeah. God exists. Yeah, yeah. I, I and, definitely knew he exists. I just didn't know him. Yeah. So, 11 years old, you're kidnapped. You're you're not having a good family upbringing. You end up being robbed at gunpoint at 14. You're running a gang at 15. Uh, that's a rough background. How did Christ get yeah. a hold of you? It was 9-11. I, I'd say it was the starting point. I was, uh, I was at a trailer park. Like, if you know anything about Nashville, they, they, they have a fairgrounds. And so across the street from the fairgrounds is a trailer park. It's no longer there. But uh, I was in and out of that trailer park most of my life. And uh, I was there I was, uh, playing hacky sack with my homeboy and was uh, drinking beers and stuff like that. And, uh, and the next thing I know, people start running out, uh, talking about the... You know, it's just, so so this was nine eleven when the towers fell. People start running out saying, "Man, the we're being attacked. We're we're under attack. Terrorists have hit. You know, the uh, New York. They're they're coming through. Buildings are falling." And I'm like, "What are y'all talking about?" And so me and my boy would stop playing hacky sack. We go in there. We start watching the news and stuff like that. And then this one guy was like, "Man, this is in the Bible. The Bible talks about this." And, uh, and, and I just kind of made a slight remark, and I was like, man, every time something happens, it's in the Bible. Everybody says it's in the Bible. And so I asked my boy, I said, hey, do you have a Bible? He says, I think so. And so I asked you know, my mom, I was like, do we have a Bible? And uh, I thought I found the Bible that day. And, and, and I tried, and, I, and from that day, I just, I just I tried to read it. But it uh, turns out I couldn't read that well. Uh, yeah, I'm dyslexic. But um, from from moving a lot, because I can remember we moved like six times in one year. Like, like we just moved a lot. Like, I just stopped trying. And um, so I really couldn't read well. And because of my dyslexia and stuff like that, I just stopped trying. But uh, I, I began to read the Bible. I, I would read three words, skip ten. And uh, <laughs> over uh, six months, I'd read, you know, I, I could read a little more and skip less. But over about a period of five years, I taught myself how to read just from reading the Bible. Um, I, st- I still wasn't able to spell that well, but I could I could read really good. Um, but I, so I started reading the Bible at nine eleven, and uh, two thousand three, I started going to church. We moved across the street from a little uh, Southern Baptist church. I had been reading the Bible, so I thought I'd go. I walked in there. Uh, the the preacher gave an altar call. I walked up, signed the card, shook a hand. They asked where I was coming from. Uh, I told them where I was coming from. Like I didn't even know, understand what that's about. And uh, he, he stood me up and he said, this person's coming from such and such. Do we receive him? Whole congregation said yes. And that was it. They didn't have me to pray a prayer. They didn't ask me to repent. I didn't hear the gospel, any of that. Uh, they told me I was a Christian. Six weeks later, I'm teaching Bible. I'm teaching uh, 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 Sunday school. I'm teaching vacation Bible school, and I'm unconverted. Like I, I've been reading the Bible, you know. I'm, I'm seeking this stuff out. But then in 2005, I heard Ray Comfort preach the gospel on the open air on a TBN. <laughs> yeah, 
on TV and, and, and I, and I saw myself just naked before God, knowing that I've committed treason against the King and, uh, like everything just started making sense the way he presented that, the, the gospel message. And I've been, I've been at this time, I've been in church for two years, but never heard a clear articulation of the gospel. So you're in church two years teaching Sunday school unconverted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and at this time, I'm also a leader of a youth team. <laughs> well, I mean, what that first off, what that tells me is that people recognize that a natural leadership ability you must have. That they, I mean, I would not call that a solid church if they just you're you're come visiting and they're going to declare you saved and now they're going to put you in charge of teaching Sunday school when you're not even converted. That is speaks volumes of them, but it also says that they must have recognized some leadership ability that you have to put you in charge like that. I mean, the only leadership ability that I had at that time was running a gang. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, which I could see how God would use that, I guess. I mean, and I do have a, uh, you know, because in, in, in working, like I've, I've roofed houses for 25 years. And so it wasn't long after I start on a roofing crew, I, w- I would be the uh, the foreman or the leader of that crew. Um, I, I just, you know, I knew what I was doing. But yeah. but, but in, in, when it came to Christianity at that time, I mean, I knew, like I, I read the Bible and I knew how to teach certain stories in the Bible, but I didn't know the gospel. No one ever asked me what the gospel was. I, I didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to expositionally walk you through a text. You know, I didn't know how to study. No one took me under their wing to, to like an older man is to take a younger man under his wing and to raise him up. Like, like none of that happened. And this is, this is the importance of discipleship but for folks who listened to last week's episode when I had Dr. Phil Atterbury on, you know that we talked about discipleship and the importance of it. And this is, I mean, Jeff, your story just plays right into that. What we had talked about was the need for churches to disciple, to be pouring into another person's life, because for you and I can understand something I think a lot of people that grew up in church don't understand. People who grow up in church they're used to the Christian lingo. They're used to all the things that the, the the trappings of church, and they don't know what it's like for those of us who have no idea because we didn't grow up in the church. And we walk in, and everything's new <clears throat> for us. Yeah, and we just we want someone to basically tell us give give us the information, tell us what the rules are, to, you know, explain all this stuff that everybody else seems to know, but you don't. I mean, it. it it, it always used to bother me when I started going to church. Everybody knew the hymns that were being sung. They didn't need to look in the hymnal. And I'm the only one trying yeah. to look it up. You know, I'd be the one in church trying to flip, like going to the beginning of the table of contents to figure out where the books are. Because <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is why discipleship is so important. Because the, there's people who may know the lingo, but they don't know Christ. And they can fool people. I mean, they could have you teaching a Sunday school when you're not even converted. But the thing is, they'll they'll have all those people that, like you said, you didn't know what was going on when they're like, do we receive him? And you're going, what's happening? Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. 
I'll yeah. tell you a story. I had a friend of mine call me, well, call me and tell me that they're about to start, that their church is sending them around their apartment to teach Bible school or Bible study. And I asked, I said, so what will you be teaching? And the person said, well, I, I, I'm not sure. I said, well, how about the gospel? <laughs> she said, huh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> And I, and I said, do you know the gospel? She said, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I said, no, 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 no. Not the gospels, the, you know, the books of the Bible, but the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. Do you know that? And they defriended me for asking them, do you know the gospel? Because that was like, too totally convicting. Unfriended me, had nothing else to do with me for asking that question. Yeah, well, because you you, you got a little bit too close a, a little bit you know i i someone had uh <clears throat> someone from my old church had posted this and i uh i shared it on my facebook it says accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge how your behavior harms others read it again yeah <laughs> so i'll read it again <laughs> accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge how your behavior harms others and i mean i think that <clears throat> that's what they were experiencing. They were they felt you were attacking them because they're not ready to admit that they don't know Christ. It's so, crazy, man. Like like when I witness to somebody because I'm real big, you know, on witnessing, especially to the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and stuff like that. I have no problem with asking them three questions: Who is God? Who is Christ? And what's the gospel? All right. I have no problem with asking them that. And let me tell you something else: I have no problem with asking someone that in my church also. You know, if I meet someone and they're a Christian, I have no problem saying, hey, so what's the gospel? Well, and this and is it's a th- okay if they don't know, because I'd like to, you know, I'd like to teach them, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is that we, when I have people over and they say they're a Christian, I'll ask, so how do you come to Christ? And yeah. I remember at a church I attended years ago, there was a guy, he wasn't a member of the church, uh, his wife was saved. But we came to discover he wasn't. I mean, we we sat there and, you know, have a Bible study. And so I just asked everyone, so how did everyone come to know Christ? And we listened to his testimony, and it was like, you're not saved. You know, I, I had in a church, which is sad, but I had in a church where we were visiting. Uh, we ended up getting to know folks there and invited all the leadership at different times over our house. And I determined that half the leadership didn't know Christ. I mean, one of the guys, I asked him, so how how did you come to know Christ? He goes, well, you know, my wife was born a Christian, and I just always liked football. They used to have a football, you know, team, and I so I played with them, so I just started coming to church. <laughs> and I, I don't always know the best way to word things. I'm a little bit blunt, and I, I just looked at him and said, what does that have to do with Christ? <laughs> like, that has nothing to do with Christ. Not, yeah, but we need that, man. We need people that are going to hold people, speak to the fire, hold them accountable. Yeah. Like, like, like my previous church, in order to become a member, you had to answer questions, you know, like, what is the gospel? You know, when did you get saved? How do you know you're saved? You know, like there's, they're prying into, and, and it's good. Like this is, this is good. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing to ask these questions. You don't want, you know, I mean, you at least want to know that the people that are members of your church can clearly articulate to you the gospel. I mean, I mean, if you tell me that you know something, you don't have to believe it. 
But if you tell me you believe something, you better know it. You better be able to defend it. Yeah. And and the thing is, is we also have to be cautious because there are some people who don't know all the lingo. And sometimes we're looking for specific wordings. And you have people who may not have the education or ability to express things as clearly as you might want it to be expressed. Maybe you've studied the scriptures well, and therefore you really know what you want to hear. You want to hear about repentance. You want to hear about the them, them turning from sin to Christ, about the resurrection. You may want to hear about that stuff. But yeah. not everyone knows how to you how to explain that language, and so you got to be careful to dig in. I'm thinking with my mother in law who didn't speak English, so my wife was talking with her and really concerned about her soul when she was living with us, and yeah, we knew she was dying, so my wife was quite concerned, and my wife determined she thinks that my mother in law was a believer. But she really didn't know how to express it in language. She didn't have much of an education. Even though it seems she may have turned to Christ, she really wasn't in good churches. The Chinese churches don't teach, doc- teach doctrine. So my wife had to dig in and ask her a lot of questions to see what was really happening. What was her view of sin? And that really helped to identify whether she really was a believer. She hated sin, not the consequence of sin, but the sin itself. And the reason why is because that's what Christ died for. Well, that's a good, that's what you want to hear, something like that. But she didn't yeah, know how to express absolutely. that, you know? Yeah. So, hey, listen, after after this commercial, what I want to do is I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your Bible rebinding with the Latin company that you created, because, you know, I'm so great at pronouncing things. So a guy that's dyslexic says, oh, yeah, let me create a company and we'll use Latin. Hello? <laughs> What were you thinking, man? <laughs> but let, let's biblical. <laughs> biblical. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about your rebinding company after this break. Ding dong, Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong, Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdotheybelieve.com. Would you consider donating to Striving for Eternity? This ministry is one that tries to reach out to some of those smaller churches that most people, most speakers, want to avoid. But by our monthly donors, it allows us to get into smaller churches and provide for them the seminars and conferences that usually only larger churches can do. We can do that because we have monthly supporters who on a regular basis support us so we could support others. Would you consider being one of our monthly supporters today? You can go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and set up for a monthly donation today. Your donation helps us to be able to spread the gospel around the world, to be able to disciple others, and to provide resources for churches and people who are struggling to grow deeper in God's Word. Consider donating today at strivingforeternity.org slash donate, and we thank you very much for your consideration. All right, and so we do appreciate every one of our donors 
that uh, help us out. So with that, I want to get into really this this ministry, how you got into Bible Rebinding. And, and folks, if you go to PTL, that stands for post, whatever that word is in the middle, it starts with T, and <laughs> Okay, I, gotta, I have to get it down. What is it? Post Tenbrus. Tenderbrus. Tenderbrus. Post Tenderbrus Lux. So it's ptlbiblerebinding.com. The neat thing is when you get there, first thing, we get to see you in action there on that website. You're, yeah. the, the, you have a video background, which is kind of neat, of you actually yeah. going through the process of, you know, cutting down the, 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 the you know, the, the calf skin and, and binding a Bible, which is really kind of neat. So how how did yeah. you get into Bible rebinding and why? Well, like I had said previously, that I I was a roofer. I roofed houses for twenty five years. I I, um, I woke up one morning like like me and my uh, wife were into it, and, and I and I had just been I don't know like I've been going crazy, and and, and I'm about and. and and so what happens is about to introduce you to why I think I was going crazy. And then my wife was into it and I had been sleeping on the couch and I just had it in my head. You know what? I'm done. I, I just can't deal with it no more. I'm going to leave. And, uh, I had saved up some money. I think I was like a week out from having about two grand or so saved up. And I was just going to be out. And I went to get up one morning to go to work and man, I passed out. Like I stood up and my eyes was like, you know, like I got real dizzy and it was like those old TV screens where it went black all the way to a, uh, a dot of, of light. And then it went out and I hit that ground, man. And, and as soon as I hit the ground, I woke up and so I, I was like, man, something's going on. So I kind of pushed myself against the couch. And I lift myself up and I went to stand up again. And man, I like, it was as if someone had put me in a hamster ball and started shaking it. <laughs> and I started screaming. Like I was screaming, help. And my wife comes running in there. What's going on? And I just could not move. I could not move any, no matter where I moved. If I was sitting up to lay down, I'd pass out. Or if I was laying down to sit up, I'd pass out. Like everything. I could not move. And, and, uh, so they called my a guy that I was working for for a guy I worked for for about fifteen years. He came over and he picked me up. And as he's picking me up, I'm passing out the whole time. He carried me to the car and they rushed me to the hospital. And uh, so turns out that I have positional vertigo. And so where if I move from one position to another, I get really dizzy, and which I do still. Like if I'm laying down and I have to get up. Or something, use the restroom or something. Like I walk into a door. <laughs> There's not a door I don't walk into. But uh, and so I have positional vertigo. Like that, it was explaining the being dizzy. But they, the doctors did not understand why I was passing out. And uh, and what I was telling you earlier about what happened to me as a child, like this is stuff I never told anybody. Like this was going to go to the grave with me. You know, like I, I, no one knew this about me. Just recently have I started sharing this because of this purpose. The doctors started rooting into my childhood. Well, it turns out they believe that I have PTSD. And, uh, and once I started looking into it, I can remember having the symptoms of it at 14. 
my tongue swelling in my mouth, uh, vehicles driving down a road three blocks away from me and I could hear them and it would hurt my ears and I would hide. Mm. Uh, and so, and, and it turns out that because of my childhood, what happened at 11, 14, you know, and onward, like, like it's really messed with my mind. And so whenever I would go to stand up and I would get dizzy, the PTSD would kick in. Like it would start uh, freaking out and my brain didn't know what was going on. So whenever I get dizzy and my, uh, the PTSD would kick in like with anxiety and stuff like that, my brain would shut itself off to keep my, to keep me from hurting myself because it didn't know what was going on. Wow. So I've learned not to hold anything in. And I, I, I'm just, that's why I'm so open with my story now because man, holding it in has, has hurt me. And because of the PTSD is why I was leaving my wife and I didn't even know it because I didn't know how to fight with her. You know, I didn't know how to verbally argue with her whenever I'd get mad, like I would just shut down and not talk because, uh, PTSD, there's a thing called fight or flight. Well, growing up in the hood and being a game banger, I knew how to fight, you know, like, like we was talking about, you know, mixed martial arts, like I could throw down, but I don't, I don't know how to verbal. I didn't know how to verbally fight with her because I wasn't going to hit her. She's a woman and it's my wife, but, 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 but it was the same thing with my pastors over the year. You know, like if I'd get into it with my pastor, we'd have a disagreement. I didn't know how to argue with him. I couldn't punch the guy. You know, I'm a Christian. I, 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 I'm not to react with my fist, but I still had this anger in me that I could not control. Couldn't control it at all. And so instead of, of staying around and talking it out, I would just leave. Mm. I'd, I'd get myself out of that situation. And so it was fight or flight. I'm either going to fight you or I'm going to leave. And so, so because of becoming a Christian and not using my hands to, to solve my problems, I had a trajectory of leaving. Which a lot of people sense. do. They run. <clears throat> it's much easier to run than face difficulty. And a lot of people do yeah, that. Yeah. So, yeah, so how that's did what I was doing? Man. So, how did that get you from doing roofing? Which, by the way, I mean to think about this, it, it is mind-boggling. If the guys in the gang knew you, <laughs> that you had positional vertigo, boy, could they have used that to, against you? But how how did that get you into Bible rebinding? And then, uh, and then I want to start talking about the craftsmanship of what your work is like. Well, uh, like I said, I was still in the hospital. The doctor noticed that I was really fidgety with my hands. And, and, and just told me that I needed a hobby. Uh, you know, uh, once I got out of the hospital, I couldn't go back to roofing. I tried to uh, do electrician work. Yeah, I can see, I I can see roofing. Be, roofing could be a problem if you have positional vertigo. <laughs> You're on a roof and all of a sudden yeah, you get absolutely. dizzy and fall off. Yeah, that could be bad. Yeah, well, I mean, I went to work for an ele- electrician company and I was on a 12-foot ladder. And I, and I looked, my, I, I took my head and looked straight up. And ended up passing out on a 12-foot ladder. But I fell against duck work. And so it kept me. So I had like one foot on the ladder. And then my rest of my body was winged up against this duck. And when I woke up, I was just shaking. Like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't provide for my family. Uh, I went to try to become a... Uh, like I was trying to do other things. That, uh, I, I'd go and take a physical. They had me lay down on my back and stand straight up. And I passed out. So I was just laying there and couldn't do anything. I'm at home stuck. I can't provide for my family. There's nothing I can do. Um, 
I, I'm not really, you know, I don't, I, I didn't have an education or anything like that. And, and if I did, like I, I'd have to be able to physically do stuff that at that time I couldn't do. And so the doctor said I needed a hobby and I had bought a Bible for like 250 bucks. It was a Schuyler Quintel. And I was just looking at it and because of my roofing background and me being a, a master at working with copper, I mean, I could take copper and form it to anything. I started thinking, man, I could probably make this Bible. And I wasn't thinking about it to sell or anything at that time. I just, I needed something to do with my hand. Like I was going crazy. And uh, I told my wife, I said, I, I think I could make this. And at this time she had no faith in me at all. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I con I conned her in for letting me sell her Bible. So I sold her Bible and then I sold a couple of my Bibles and I bought some leather and, uh, and I bought some tools. I just started trying to make them and uh, started posting them on, on Facebook. And uh, people liked them and uh, asking me how much, how much. And then after about, I, I, after about 20 or so that I've made, my wife was like, you can really do this. <laughs> and so we, you know, we didn't want to do anything, uh, you know, because she was a lawyer at the time. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I'd probably been doing it the other way. And, uh, I was like, well, I can do it, make some money. She was like, no, we got to start a business, pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hold on now. <laughs> Taxation's a fee, you know, but she, you know, her being a lawyer, she wouldn't let me get away with anything. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we, we went and applied for a business license and, uh, and to start at post tender bus Lux. Um, and, and, and God has blessed it. Well, let's, I want to talk about the quality of the work because there, there are people that would think, well, a two or 300, $400 Bible is a lot. And that seems like a waste of money. However, the craftsmanship of these Bibles, I mean, these are Bibles that are going to outlive us. These, these are Bibles that, I, the way I view these are, these are Bibles you hand down to your children and their children and their children. And we don't make books to last generations anymore. I mean, I have, in my office, I had a pastor who, when he passed away, his wife you know, called me up and said that, uh, you know, Pastor Dave really wanted you to have his library. Would you want to come by and pick anything up? And and I, I have a, some books from his library that are multiple generations. I mean, I, I have some books that go back to the late 1800s, and they've been passed down, and I could see a, a daughter giving it to her father because it's inscribed in there, and then passed down to generation after generation of people. We don't have books like that anymore. But these Bibles are that. I mean, these these Bibles are designed to last. So let's talk about the process, the type of material you use, why they're such high quality. Yeah, well, uh, I use uh, goat skin leather for the for, for the most part, and I, all my leather that I use has 100 years shelf life. Like it's going to last 100 years or longer. Uh, there's times where I will get a Bible to rebind that's from the 1800 that was bound in goatskin leather, and the goatskin is still good. Goatskin is king of leathers when it comes to uh, book binding, and so uh, so so we only use the best uh, quality leather you can get. And uh, so each Bible 
like, like if I just make a Bible and was to give it away, like I just, uh, not counting the price that it would take to buy the Bible itself. If I just was the cover, if I just make the cover and give it away, I'm putting myself anywhere uh, like if it's a small Bible, $60 of leather on it. And, and, and it just goes up from there. Like it can be up to uh, $80, $90 worth of leather that goes onto one Bible. Hmm. So if I was to just make somebody a Bible, it's going to cost me $90 just in the leather, not counting the, the six to 10 hours it takes to make it and not counting the anywhere from 20 to a hundred dollars to pay for that Bible. The, the the block, the actual pages. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they cost like it, it does cost money, but you know these Bibles are going to last you a hundred years. Let's just say a hundred years. Uh, that that it can be in your family. Your cell phone, which costs a thousand dollars, luckily, if you're lucky, will last you one year, two years. Yeah. And this is the Word of God. You know. I think, and, and, I, and I'm not dogging anyone that don't want to spend that much money on it. And I get it. You know, I, I come from a very poor background, but I mean, you buy one Bible and that's all you have to buy the rest of your life. If you spend twenty, thirty dollars on a Bible every two years, like I was doing, because I, you know, I read a lot, and uh, they break down after about two or three years, five, ten years at most. Like you, you're spending that much money through the course of your life. Yeah, I've told you that I, I'm, I'm contemplating sending you. You know, what was my first Bible that I had gotten a New King James that I got when I was in college, and it's the one I have all my notes in. It's the one I, you know, and I want that to last. It's falling apart. I mean, literally being held together by tape. I have duct tape, you know, keeping the, the binding in and everything. And that's something that might be nice to pass on to to my kids. Even though I don't use yeah, that translation absolutely. anymore, but I, I'm, you know, that's where I want it to be something. It's it's more than just a Bible; it's a legacy. It's something you you could pass on to a next generation, and that's how I think people have to view this. It's more than just saying, "Well, I want a really expensive Bible." No, it's it's something that's going to last, and we don't build don't develop things to last anymore. So, yeah. let, let's talk about that that. Faithful day when all of a sudden uh, you decided you were going to make a uh, rebind something for somebody, and all of a sudden James White blew up your business. <laughs> yeah, what happened? Well, before that, like, I, but before that, I would like to add that the sovereignty of God in my business. You know, because I told y'all that I've roofed houses. I told y'all that I was the next game banger. And I guess you can conclude, conclude into that what all that would, would take place. Like, you know, I was I was selling my cousins. Like, I was pimping my cousins and, and friends out for money, like women. And I was, you know, like I, I was real big into women and, and our, our stuff like that. Uh, selling drugs. You know, this is how I was making money also. But God has used everything in my life from, I mean, like from the way that I, I construct my Bibles, like I'm an artist also, I could, I could take a pencil and draw you. So when I construct a Bible, I use everything that I've learned in roofing as construction wise to put these things together. And they feel great. You, you look at my Bibles and think, man, 
I mean, you hold one and you'll say this thing will last forever, but you can also look at it because of my being an artist. And you think that is the most beautiful Bible I've ever seen. And, and I'm not saying that in any way to bring glory to me because uh, with this, I want to, I'm pointing to Christ because he has given me all these things. He has given me all these abilities that I have. I could not read but I could, you know, growing up, I could not pass a test, but I could take that test, flip it over and draw the teacher and give it to her. I'm like, here you go. You know, like uh, he, he giveth, he giveth and taketh. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so like whenever I went, whenever I came into uh, this business, I was taking that, you know, when, when, when I construct my Bibles, I'd use my roofing and my artistic ability. But when I would advertise, I would use my street way of advertising. Again, like if I, I would move to a neighborhood, and uh, and I was selling weed or whatever it was. I would have to make make people. I had I have to let people know what I was doing. Or if I was moving to a neighborhood and I wanted to start a gang, I had to beat somebody up, let him know that I was bad, that he couldn't mess with me. And then the next thing you know, my name would start spreading throughout the hood. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, in that same sense, I that's how what I've gave, I, that, 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 That's the experience I had. That's the experience I used, but this time for the glory of God. So whenever, whenever I would, uh, you know, that's how I would advertise. I would try to find ways to, to, to figure out a way to get uh, my name known. So when I would move to a neighborhood, I needed to find the loudest talking person that I could that, 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 that would speak about me. And I knew, I told my wife right in the beginning, I said, baby, if we can get James White, <laughs> one of these Bibles. <laughs> He's going to fall said, in love with it. <laughs> I, I said, as soon as he fills one of these Bibles, I said, God is going to use James White. And she thought I was crazy. How are you going to get a Bible in a James White's hand? James White don't even read from a physical Bible. He reads from the computer screen. And and, and I was like, I don't know, but we're gonna, we, we got to figure it out. So there's a guy named Kofi. Who is a good friend of mine? Yeah, good yeah friend of he's, he's a good friend of mine. Don't, I won't. Yeah, so Kofi, I, you don't want to admit Kofi that out loud, was though. Wanting, <laughs> Kofi, Kofi was wanting a rebound Bible, and so he had this other Bible that he was willing to give away for one. And I was like, "This is it." And I contacted him. I said, "Hey, man, we'll do your Bible for that one." And I knew James White was going to see this Bible. Like, I just knew it. James White, we're going to do this Bible. James White's going to see it. He's going to want one. And that's what, God's going to bless it. Like, I just, uh, you know, I just knew it, man. This is what God has given me, right? And so I did the Bible for Kofi. Next thing I know, there's a dividing line, and James White starts talking about Kofi's Bible on the dividing line. (laughs) And he mentioned post-tender breast love. Man, I'm telling you what, I was screaming with excitement, and my daughter comes running in there. What's happening? I said, James White's talking about our business on the divider <laughs> line. And we start butt dancing in the living room floor, like getting down. Because he mentioned that he was going to reach out to me. And God did exactly what I, 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 you know, it comes down to this. I had worked, I've worked hard my whole life. And then I, and, and, you know, and, and I thought I'd be roofing the rest of my life. And I come down to where I could not feed and provide for my family. But I knew this, that I belonged to God. I belong to him. Mm-hmm. And he is my shepherd. He has taken the shepherd's hook and he brought me 
by revealing to me that PTSD, now I'm able to to fight with words because I'm not going to let anything. Listen, I'm a fighter, dude. I'm not tapping out. I'm not going to let <laughs> this disease cap me out or make me run for my pastor or make me run for my wife or, or anything. Now that I know the problem, I was able to fight. I was able to fight. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Like I knew it wasn't me. I knew it wasn't her. I knew it was a, a illness that was coming against me. All right. And I, and, and God took his shepherd's hook and he's brought me back and I am his, he is going to provide for me. And I just knew, I knew if I could get my Bible in James, the hand that God was going to use James to bless me. I just knew it, man. And you can call that what you want, but that's what happened. <laughs> well, that was we, my plan. And that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, it, it is <laughs> smart marketing, right? You know, but, but he has, he has blown up your business quite a bit. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have, have known about your work, but it's, but it's really good work that you do. I've, I've purchased, you know, one of your Bibles as a gift. And, uh, you know, it was something that, uh, you know, it, it's something to last generations. So here's what I want to do. Um, usually we, we do our spiritual transition game just as a way to get to the gospel. But what I'd like to do instead is I would like you to share a gospel message to folks. So that they, if, if what is it people need to know to be a believer? You went to a church where they just said, ah, you're in. <laughs> That's not right. Can you share the gospel with folks? Yeah, like it comes down to, you know, God. Like I, I even just think about right now, every hair on my body is standing up. Whenever I begin to pray, first thing I think about is what Isaiah saw on the throne and, and what he was experiencing with the seraphims crying out and reminding each other. It, the seraphim is reminding another seraphim how holy, holy, holy God is. And so that's where it starts. God is holy, holy, holy. And we need to understand that when Adam sinned, it was as if he took a rock and cast it into the water. And that rock of sin, that offense of sin, ripples like the, uh, the, the, uh, the water ripples when you cast a rock into it. But that rock of sin that he cast it out into the world has rippled down to every child that is born, is now born under that sin. We are born into Adam, into his sin. Now, right after this takes place, instead of crushing and slaughtering Adam and Eve, God reveals to us his plan through the seed of the woman that is soon to come and that this seed of the woman will uh, bruise the head of the serpent while only bruising his heel. And we read throughout the scriptures how, how, how God has, has, has sent forth his word and that his word will not return void and how grace at times appears the same time that, a image of Christ would appear. Well, in the New Testament, the new covenant that uh, comes into play, we see grace appear fully in all of its glory. Grace appear through Jesus Christ. And we see in the temptation of Christ that this serpent that was speaking with Eve 
is now trying to tempt Christ in the same way. And he tells him, he says, if you bow down to me and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms that you see. And Christ replies to him, we are to worship God and God alone. Well, here comes the crucifixion where Christ is hung on the cross for my sins. On that cross is where is where mercy and wrath met for the first time. And the wrath of God that I deserve because of my sin. You see, that ripple of, of sin that falls upon every children, we know it's true because we sin. The Bible tells us that we are born in sin, and we prove that by sinning. And so why Christ is on that cross, and the wrath of God and the mercy of God meet upon him, and the wrath that he fully takes upon himself is what I should receive. And this Mercy that comes from him comes to me by receiving him by faith and repentance. And we find out through scripture and through this spirit of revelation that is given us through scripture as we read it, that that was the moment that the heel of the Savior was bruised while crushing the serpent's head. That was the moment on that cross. He took what was fully his. We find out in Matthew chapter 28. He says, go into all the world. He says, all the, he, says, he says, all the world has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we see in Luke chapter 4 in the temptation of Christ, this serpent telling him, bow down and worship me, and I will give you all this. We see that all that was given to him when he crushed his head with his heel. And so now the gospel proclamation can move forward and, and, and we can live in Christ and we can proclaim his goodness that Christ alone saves. And what we need to understand is after he was put on that cross and, and, and after he was, he was um, uh, put to death, that, that he rose from the grave. That's our hope, him rising from the grave and him descending to be with the Father, and that He right now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession and prayer for those that draw near to Him by faith. Like That's our hope. Who hopes in what He cannot see? The Bible clearly lays it out. Jesus Christ is God, and He proved He is who He says He was when He came forth from the grave, taking the kingdoms that belong to Him, that rightfully belong to Him. He is the King. He's the heir of all things. And what we're called to do is to repent, turn from our sins, and to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to look to Him and Him alone. We are to be Trinitarian, Christ-centered believers. Sorry. So you uh, you even sound like Paul Washer sometimes. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I knew that would be good. You can hear the open-air evangelist in you coming out. But, uh, folks, if you don't know Christ, receive Him today. Turn from self Turn from trust in good works. Turn to Christ and live. Jeffrey, I, I'm glad that you came on. I uh, really wanted to, to have a longer time to talk to you. That's why I told you we, we did a quick thing at G3, but I wanted a longer time to chat with you, dig into your background, and to you know talk more about what you're doing at the, at the Bible Rebinding because that's some quality work being done there. So thank you for all that you do and how God is using his ministry in your life to bless so many people. So yeah, thank you, man. Um, I hope I was uh, open enough about my background. That's probably the open as I've ever been. 
um, I need to work on it. Just like I still find myself shut down, like the doors that I'm not sure to open. I, I like I don't know, man. But uh, I do want to be as open as possible because uh, I don't want anything to defeat me. Uh, especially my past, I want to be able to get in, uh, look forward, look into Christ, and not looking at at what has happened as a crutch. And I hope that your testimony may encourage someone listening. If you're listening and you're saying, well, you know, my background's really rough, or there's been a lot there, maybe broken home, abuse, whatever it may be, I hope that you're listening to Jeff and, and realizing God can use anything in our lives and turn us from darkness to light, from being kidnapped to being in gangs to being by being doing Bible rebindings. What could God do in your life? What will God do if you submit to him and not keep fighting him or be arguing that, well, my background, uh, you know, God can't use this. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. God can do what he wants to do in your life, but sometimes we we fight that. So next week, I don't know what we're going to have for you for the the rap report, but I'm sure it'll be good. (laughs) But uh, check out. Uh, some of the things at Striving Fraternity let you guys know real quick. We still have a couple of spots open for the Israel trip. If you want to go to Israel with uh, Justin Peters and Striving Fraternity, we're going in March 2021. Lots of time to be able to save up the money. And just remember that the there's $500 deposit, but 125 of it is non-refundable. The rest of it you have till November to, to fi- make a final decision. It's uh, It is filling up. We're limiting the trip to about 50 people, and we're getting close to that. So if you're interested in going with us to Israel, make sure you go to 2021israeltrip.com. That's 2021israeltrip.com to book for that. So until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. And that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.